I guess before you, right. you do the whole introduction again, the uh, rating scale. Uh, rating scale. How about Bill Buckner? <laughs> yeah, cool. Th- things that Bill Buckner gets blamed for, even though he <laughs> he wasn't really at fault. How about that? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, how about these things that Bill Buckner gets blamed for? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a lot. <laughs> Let me write that down first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess we can get into some comic book news. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's all Bill Buckner's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first thing to blame him for. Yeah. It's all Bill Buckner's fault. <laughs> Yet another Bat Fans podcast. This is episode number 31. And this is the first 31st episode, Tim. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a high mark. The first 31st. It kind of rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I was thinking since it's our 31st episode that, um, remember back during like our 20th episode or 10th episode or whatever it was. When we propose, or when I propose, that we change our generic name. That's right. So, how would you feel if we change it to Fat Bands? <laughs> and our our slogan will be, nobody listens, but we still keep on doing it. <laughs> Does that sound like a good... I was expecting a rhyme with that slogan, so I'm a little disappointed with that, but... <laughs> No, I'm not not a poet. Sorry, Tim. No. <laughs> poetry is not one of your many talents. No, it's not. So before it was the bat fans with no pants, and now uh, <laughs> it's this new one. Which what was it again? Fat bands. Oh, okay. There you go. F a t b a n s. Or or do you think we should go with um, bat fans without pants? Oh, they're both so good. It's hard to choose. Well. Kevin Smith already has a Fat Man on Batman podcast, so I think he's got the fat yeah. title corner. Okay. So. Yeah, Bad Fans Without Pants. Okay. So let me do the introduction again and introduce it as Fat, or not fat Man. Um, <laughs> bad Fans Without Pants. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is uh, Bad Fans Without Pants, <laughs> episode number 31. You had to take um, your pants off there for a second. That's why the delay. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, I had a Star Wars question for you, but I forgot it. That's either a good oh, thing or a bad oh, thing. Oh, no, no. I, I remember it now. Okay, let's hear it. You know when um, when Anakin goes off to go rescue his mother? Why does he take the land speeder? Why didn't he just take Padme's ship? Well, the dip, the ship is around, probably in the docking bay in Mos um, Espa. So I figured the speeder's right there instead of going to the docking bay. Or then he'd have to take the ship and then... It'd probably be harder to land. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you see it, you know, when they leave, you see it that it's just parked right outside. But, I mean, I guess somebody brought it there. I never really, well, you know what? That's true. <laughs> I think I messed up on that one. <laughs> they couldn't fly out with it. <laughs> that that would have made, uh-huh. mine would have been a more logical sense as to why. But, yeah, now that yeah. it is there, 
I just I think he probably too he wanted to sneak up on the Tuscan Raiders too. He didn't want to bring attention if he did see him or whatever. What he could have done was he could have found the Tuscan Raider camp. <clears throat> he could have circled it around and uh, parked it like far away, and then kind of ran to the Tuscan Raider camp. But what if when he flew over the first time it would startle them and maybe they started to break from camp and started uh, running away and then he'd have to land it then try to run after them. It probably would have been easier to, to sneak up on him with a speeder. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Damn you, Tim. <laughs> I'm being right all the time. Problem solved. <laughs> but, yeah, we have uh, Tim with us. Tim, say hello to the good people. Hello, hello, everyone. And we also got Terrence. Terrence, you say hello to the good people now. Hello to the good people now, and uh, hello to everybody. And I... I finally told the kids in school about the Batman podcast, and, and I actually put, like, a link to it on my uh, school webpage. Uh, and one kid's like, yeah, I went on it, but there was only – everybody was talking about Star Wars. I think I was on the wrong podcast, <laughs> the wrong thing. So uh, we'll see what kind of feedback we get. Well, it should be part of their homework assignment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or if they don't then, listen to it, you're going to give them bad grades. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because Dane started off the podcast with a new slogan, and I was thinking of a slogan for the podcast because Dane always says we're the least listened to Batman podcast. So I, I think our slogan should be, you know, well, where are we now? Bat fans without pants now. So yeah. be yeah, bat fans without pants. If if you're listening to a Batman podcast, then it's probably not us. So <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty good. Yes. Now I have a Star Wars question for you, Tim. But this this one's. I think this is really easy. So if you uh, want, maybe Dane could try to answer it or um, uh, see. But but then the follow-up is what I, I'm going to try to stump you on. Uh, so when uh, Luke in episode four, the first movie, which is the, f- the fourth movie or however you want to look at it, don't you don't you love having that conversation with people who don't know Star Wars and you try explaining that and they, their, their eyes just go like in the back of their head. But in, in episode four, when uh, Luke... And uh, Obi-Wan go to uh, Moss Eisley, or the wretched hive of scum and villainy, uh, and they meet Han Solo. Han Solo brags about the Millennium Falcon and that it, it did this special feat that um, to prove its speed because Luke has got his doubts. So what, um, what amazing feat does Han brag about the Millennium Falcon? That would be the Kessel Run, which he made less than 12 parsecs. Yes. All right. Good. That's one. Now, my my follow up is: what is wrong with that statement? Oh, that was more of a technical question than a yeah. Star Wars question. I know what's wrong. I know what's wrong. The lack of George Lucas's science knowledge. Now, see, George Lucas's uh, knowledge is over. Is is more right than what the actual uh, answer is. So, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go against George Lucas. <laughs> but go ahead, tell me how it's wrong. They knows it, right? Yeah, it's a unit of measurement. Right. The parsec is a unit of measurement, not a unit of speed. It's it's actually like a light year. It's a it's a the amount of um distance light travels in one second in a vacuum. So he had his distance and speeds mixed up. Um Well so. maybe in the Star Wars universe it means uh, speed. <laughs> yeah. So Hey, can I ask you another Star Wars question? This is one I had like at the end of episode three, because that was on the other night on, on uh, I think Spike TV or something. Yeah. They uh, Obi Wan leaves Luke, the baby Luke. With, now who exactly? I know Owen and uh, who's his aunt? Peru. What is, Peru. Now how, how are they related to Anakin? Is that his brother or stepbrother or half brother? Yeah, it's his stepbrother. 
because Anakin's mother uh, married Uncle Owen's father. Okay. So, yeah, they're stepbrothers. Now, doesn't it seem like that would be, like, the first place Anakin, as as Vader, would, like, search out? Or, like, wouldn't he go back to his stepbrother or his home planet and check that out as, Va- as Vader at some point? Like... It, it seems, I don't know, it seems to me an illogical place to hide him, <laughs> or is there a reason for it that I don't know? Well, they kind of deal with that in uh, one of the books, uh, Star Wars Dark Lord. It was like, takes, supposed to take place right after Revenge of the Sith. In that book, it kind of says anywhere that Vader goes that has to do with his past life as Anakin, it just kind of tears him up inside where, like, he can't handle it. It kind of has, like a, like, a force breakdown or something where mentally it's just too much for him to handle. So okay. if he were ever to go back to Tatooine, kind of where everything went wrong for him, I mean, that's where he was a slave, that's where his mother died. If he were to go back there, it would just probably just cause too much pain for him. Because so, in that book, I believe he goes back to the Jedi Temple, and that kind of triggers that. And so they kind of made the point where like, wherever he, if he were to go somewhere that has like an emotional impact in his life, he probably wouldn't be able to handle that. So they never say that, of course, in the movie, that that's the reason why they just say that Luke should be with his family. Okay. So... But that's kind of the reason they gave him the EU and the expanded universe where why he doesn't just go to Tatooine. And, and first of all, he doesn't know that his, uh, he has any kids. He's assuming they're dead. Okay. So he really doesn't have a reason to go back. But if he was to go back to Tatooine, they kind of made the point where he, that wouldn't even enter his mind because it's just too much pain for him. He wouldn't even bother with that planet anymore. Okay. I thought he might go back and check out his half-brother and help him out or something because he had no beef with his half-brother, right? I mean, our, our step-brother, I should say. Maybe go back as Vader and give him a job in the Empire or something. Get him off that. <laughs> He's Darth Vader. Planet. He's not going to help anyone now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, hey, and in the expanded universe, was it true that the uh, when the Millennium Falcon made the Kessel Run, was it Lando Calrissian who was piloting it, or was that Han Solo who was piloting it? Oh, no, it was Han Solo. Oh, okay. All right. I guess we can get to our featured topic. And, Tim, what is our featured topic for this episode. Yeah, so the feature topic for this week is going to be our favorite Batman Superman team-up moments or stories from either the comics or the animated series. Since uh, Man of Steel is just, by the time this episode goes up and everyone's listening, it's going to be just a week away. So I figured this would be a good time to talk Batman Superman stories. So uh, for me, there's a bunch to choose from because between the comics and a bunch of the animated series, so Justice League, Superman, so I had to narrow it down to a few, but uh, Terrence, what were some of your favorites? Yeah, you know, I had a, a whole bunch here, you know, and I was thinking about it. I was kind of trying to do it, like, chronologically a little bit. And I guess, you know, as a kid, I w- would watch the Super Friends, which had Batman and Superman and all the superheroes. But, you know, the thing about that is they were all kind of the same character, just with different powers. There really wasn't much difference in the voices. The same. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The, the only real difference was Batman had Robin. That was about it. Um, so there wasn't much, you know, like growing up, as a kid, I didn't really think of them as that much different other than different costume and different powers and stuff. Um, but then the very first comic I ever read uh, actually had a Batman-Superman moment, and that was Death in the Family, which actually had a death in it, unlike Death of the Family. Uh, for a little and, while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, yeah, for a little while. And uh, so I had never read comics before, and I was reading it, and, uh, you know, Batman... Robin has, has just been killed, and Batman's like going to confront the Joker, and Superman comes in, and I reading, I, I had it in trade paperback, and it was kind of like, oh wow, there's Superman in here, and then they don't really get along, and they start arguing, and 
Batman punches Superman in the face, which luckily Superman like turns his head and Batman doesn't break his his uh, hand. <laughs> it's yeah. such a wimpy picture of Batman like <laughs> like in pain with his hand. Uh, but um, I actually really thought Superman was kind of a jerk in that comic because he like kind of prevents Batman from going after the Joker and. Apparently the Joker's got uh, some kind of diplomatic immunity because he's an ambassador, and and then the Joker ends up killing a bunch of people. And I, I was really like, come on, Superman, just forget that. Let Batman go get him. You know, help him out. Um, and then the next uh, Batman Superman like big uh, comic I read uh, was The Dark Knight Returns. I had you know right around that time I was starting to get into comics. The uh, the world's finest comic series had had kind of just ended. It ended in '86. I was a, a year or two after that, like '88. So um, I was able to pick up a few back issues of that uh, world's finest comic, but they weren't really that good. I wasn't really that into it. But the the Dark Knight Returns that was uh, you know Superman and Batman, and they were enemies. I mean, there's there's no love lost there at all. The the new movies kind of kind of made them. Uh, a little bit more friends and, and, and toned down Superman a little bit, but Frank Miller made Superman. He's the bad guy in that um, comic. And, you know, I read it when I was still young and naive enough to think, like, this was, like, what's going to happen? Like, this is the future. This is what will happen. And, uh, man, that, that fight scene is still, I think, one of my favorite all time in any format movies television you know and just you know it's so gritty and when you know bruce has so many clever things to get superman and uh when he's just like i I want you to know the one man who beat you clark and then like when when you think batman's dead like i really thought he died i'm like holy cow he's dead and then the scene at the end with the gravesite and superman kind of redeems himself a little bit by giving the wink and just being like all right i know what's going on here um and i think from from that i i like it best when batman and superman don't like each other when they're when they're kind of enemies or at least you know rivals um i kind of like that um uh, a lot more uh and then i guess the the next big one was um they came out with this mini series called world's finest and uh it was like a I had painted covers. It was really expensive at the time. It came out in 1990, and uh, Dave Gibbons and Steve Rue did it. Who I had no idea who those people were at the time, but I was kind of disappointed in that a little bit. But the the one thing I did like about it is it kind of did a switch. Like the Joker and Lex Luthor were in it, and the Joker goes to Metropolis, and Lex Luthor goes to Gotham City, and so then Batman goes to Metropolis, and um, Superman goes to Gotham City, which kind of uh, they borrow that real heavily later on with the the Bruce Tim uh, animated version. Um, so I have that. The other one I really liked, um, which I read this long after the fact. I read it in trade paperback. But uh, John Byrne, when he um, relaunched Superman and they and they retconned Superman for the '80s, um, and he came out with his miniseries Man of Steel. And in Man of Steel number three, it, it um, gives the first introduction to Batman and Superman and once again they're kind of rivals Superman is kind of the big blue boy scout and he's like well you're an outlaw you're a vigilante I want to bring you in and and he's got this really cool moment 
you know, spoiler alert if you ever read this, but um, it's been 30 years, so it's your own fault. But uh, the uh, Batman is like, you know, Superman with his powers could just grab Batman, take him to jail. But Batman's like, you know, don't do it. I've planted like an explosive device on somebody in Metropolis. And if you grab me, it'll go off. And, and so Superman, like with his powers, can read that Batman isn't lying. And he's like, holy cow, he's not lying. And I, so I read it. I was like, holy cow, Batman would do that? He would, you know, you know, strap explosives to somebody. And then at the end, you find out that the explosives were strapped to Batman himself and that he hadn't put anybody in danger other than himself. And I mean, that was just a really cool one here. Um, and then um, 1997, when uh, the Superman uh, TV cartoon was out, animated series with Bruce Timm, they came out. It originally was like a three-parter, which I watched. And yeah. I, I think it was week after. I think you had to wait a week for each one. It, it may not have been a full week, but I, Actually, I remember that. Was I it a week? or? I believe on one Saturday morning they aired all three of them, kind of like a mini-movie type thing. Did they? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I kind of remember that, but it was, it's was it been a while. But I have it on DVD. It's now called the Batman Superman movie. But I think at the time it was called World's Finest, parts one, two, and three. And so that kind of borrowed on the theme that with Joker and um, Lex Luthor teaming up. And I really like that one a lot. I, I think that's yeah. got my all-time favorite um, Superman-Batman moment is when uh, – Superman kind of figures out that that Batman is Bruce Wayne and he think he's he's got one one up and Superman is like all like depressed he goes he goes home and Lois Lane calls him and is like oh yeah I'm gonna be late for work I'm having breakfast with Bruce Wayne and you see Superman just like all upset and he he uh then he looks on his cape and Batman had planted a homing device on him and he looks out the window and Batman is staring at him with binoculars and he kind of gives him like this two finger salute like yeah. hey you know you might have all the powers but I'm just as good as you uh, awesome. and yeah and, and Superman's like touche and he smashes the uh, homing device uh, and so I really like that because they, they once again they had them as kind of rivals and adversaries yeah and even uh, before that yeah. scene you were talking about where they first met in that nightclub. That was like the awesome, like an awesome first encounter for them to have, where Batman's yeah. interrogating that crook about the Joker, and Superman tries to stop Batman. Batman just flips him over and throws him on a table. I thought yeah. that was the coolest intro. Yeah, there's a time. lot of great stuff in that. You know, and I was I, I was actually just watching that before the podcast, and um, the the um, oh shoot, I blanked on his name. Who does the voice of Batman? I can't believe I blanked. Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy. I can't believe I blanked on that. <laughs> Kevin Conroy does a lot of cool stuff with his voice in that and he does a lot as Bruce Wayne trying to like um seduce or uh Lois Lane and he does like a lot of like little things and then there's a scene in the where they're in the Daily Planet and he's like all like hey Lois hey ready to go and then like Clark asks him a question and he like immediately snaps into yeah. the Batman voice and he's like no you know Clark I Clark asks him something like any news on the comedian and he's like no like it, it's really cool how he does that um, and it, it's cool how like Batman is trying to w win over Lois Lane and like they're competing with that and it's like you had your chance. Um, so that one I really enjoyed. Um, and a couple others. There was a World's Finest miniseries. It was like a ten issue miniseries. Um, came out in '99 with Carl Kessel and uh, Dane Taylor. And overall, it was okay. They did it like every issue was one year later. Uh, but there was one issue that went back and looked at the Nightfall and the death of Superman, and it had, like, Bruce Wayne Batman meet the four uh, guys from Reign of Supermans, you know, um, and who was like, none of you guys are Superman. And then it 
fast forward and had, you know, Clark Kent back and he meets, you know, John Paul Valley as Asbats and was like, all right, well, you're no Bruce Wayne. And that, that was kind of cool because I never even heard of that. Oh, yeah. It's actually really good. Yeah. Uh, it's it's I don't think it's on digital, though. You might have to, like, try to find the, the back issues. But the, the rest of the series was pretty good. You know, they did year by year. But that one was my favorite because, you know, 99, you hadn't seen those characters in a while. That stuff was kind of forgotten about in a bit. And it was cool to see the Asbats back. It was cool to see um, the four reign of Superman uh, back. Um, and then, uh, 96, oh, actually a little before that, the Kingdom Come miniseries yeah. had, a, had a lot of great Superman, Batman stuff. It had the old bitter, like, uh, Batman from Batman, um, uh, uh, beyond. like beyond that's it. Sound blanking on the stuff. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, and, uh, it's the, the thing I love about like the Elseworlds stories is you just never know. You, you, you know, it's kind of open. You, you, you don't know where it's going to go. Um, and then, like, a little later on, 2003, they came out with the Superman-Batman series, and I had stopped reading comics at that time, but I do remember kind of looking a little bit and seeing that that was the number one book and being like, all right, I'm, I'm glad that's, you know, doing so well and is the number one book. And I did end up going back and reading those in trade paperback and um, seeing the, the animated movies on the first two runs. Uh, but actually... In May 2001, Detective Comics 756 came out, and I had not, I hadn't been reading comics, but for some reason, I don't know why, I picked that comic up, and I brought it to work, and it sat in my desk at work for like years and years, and I would like read it all the time. I'd be like, all right, when I had like mo- time to kill, and it's a really good issue. Um, it's a continuation from the S- Superman, but you don't need to read Superman, and it's it's called Lord of the Ring, and it's written by Greg right. Rucka, which. I mean, that tells you right there. And um, it's they were doing this weird thing at Detective Comics at the time where they were like the colorist was just using like black, white, gray and one color. So the whole thing is just in black, white, uh, gray and red. Uh, and it's a, actually a really cool effect. And basically um, the story is Batman and Lois Lane are breaking into the White House to try to steal the kryptonite ring that Lex Luthor, who's the president, has, and Superman's trying to stop them, but Lex Luthor's made the White House all Superman-proof, and he's got lead paint everywhere and all these anti-Superman things, so Superman can't stop Batman, um, and it's it's a really good re- read. I don't want to spoil that one, because probably I'll, I'll, some people haven't, and it's, uh, oddly enough, it's um, digital now, and uh, it it just went digital, like, recently so when you pop up detective comics it comes it's one of the first ones that comes up because it's like recent editions um and um a couple others the the injustice gods among us uh that's been a a cool batman superman what i like about that one is it's kind of a a reversal so many things start off as batman and superman against each other and then they become friends this one kind of started out they're friends and then now they're could be coming against each other so that and then you can pop in the game and fight as um each other and then um also um the batman animated series uh in its final year they did a, a superman batman team up and th- that one was really good too um and it was kind of a little more of a reversal-ish thing where superman doesn't really want to team up with batman and they they e- Used some of the old Superman music, which was good, and the um, Brave and the Bold had the Superman Batman uh, episode two, which was pretty decent. It was kind of more classic fifties, but um, 
Two others that I wanted to mention, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, Tim, here, uh, if anybody's still awake with me um, going on and on here. <laughs> You're giving us a good hi- Superman history lesson. <laughs> yeah, as I'm good for something there. Uh, kind of like the, the family of Batman Superman recently, then the Stephanie Brown run of Batgirl. They had a Batgirl Supergirl issue, issue number 14, where they – it's kind of like a horror movie kind of thing where they – are at college and they're showing a horror movie, but the vampires and stuff come alive in the 3D. And that one, it sounds kind of hokey and goofy, but it was a really fun read. That was one of the first issues where I was like really getting into the Stephanie Brown Batgirl and going back and getting some of the, the, the back issues that I missed. And um, it was kind of sad actually pulling that up and seeing that getting which issue that was because it was like, oh, this this was so good. Why did they cancel it? Why did they reboot? Um, and then also like that, in Superman Batman number 77, they had a Supergirl, Damian Wayne, Robin team up. And it was like a Halloween special. And that one was really good. Damian Wayne, you know, refers to her as alien all the time and everything. Yeah. That, that was a really neat uh, kind of... Batman, Superman, family team up, but um, I think I've gone on and rambled on long enough, so what about you, Tim? What are your favorite moments? Yeah, well, no shocker here, but some of my favorite Batman, Superman stuff was from the whole DC animated universe series. Like you already first mentioned, Terrence, with uh, the world's finest movie, like we already talked about, that was a perfect introduction for those two characters meeting, and perfect storyline having the Joker and Lex team up, and like we talked about, they had great banter between Batman and Superman throughout the whole movie. This is a great way to introduce those two characters in the same universe. But one that always stuck out to me was, because uh, they teamed up several times, was uh, it's technically considered a Superman episode, but it's called Nighttime, where uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne go missing. And so Gotham's left, like all the criminals there are just kind of running rapid, robbing different places, and Robin's trying to take care of it all himself. And once Superman gets word of this, he decides to dress up as Batman and then to kind of search for Bruce Wayne and yet kind of handle all the problems that are going on with Gotham right now. It was just really funny and cool seeing Superman in the Batman outfit and seeing him try to act like Batman. And then Robin would kind of have to tell him certain things like uh, where his uh, grappling hook is and his utility belt. So I want to get more firm with Penguin. <laughs> where do you, you want to give any information, Robin's all, throw over the desk. And Superman's all, like, gives him a look like, why? He's like, just do it. Then like, he just kicks the desk over with Penguin and Penguin starts getting scared and telling him all the information he needs. Mm-hmm. And then there's a cool fight sequence with uh, Bane and Superman. And, of course, Bane doesn't know it's Superman. He thinks it's going to be an easy fight and he'll take care of it. And you just see Bane get his butt kicked by Superman. <laughs> all of his, no matter how much venom he pumps, it's like nothing is, his punches are phasing it, which is really cool. So that's like probably one of my favorite Batman Superman team-up episodes from the animated series. And then just later on in Justice League, I just love the kind of the chemistry and the relationship that they built with the two characters. Because, like you said, Terrence, you kind of like how they're more of a rivalry where they're not best friends. But in the animated series, I kind of like where they do have that rivalry, but at the same time, they have a great amount of respect for each other. They are best friends, too, but they might not show that all the time. I just love how throughout Justice League and all the different animated series, is like they really develop that where, yeah, they really go about things differently, but at the same time, they really respect each other. Like, one of my favorite lines was uh, in the Justice League episode, uh, Hereafter, where it looks like Superman is dead, and they have this funeral for him, but Bruce doesn't really believe that Superman is gone. And yet, when he's all alone, he goes to, like, they built a statue of Superman to honor him, and he just starts talking to it, kind of expressing himself to how, uh, how he really feels about Superman being a hero, saying, uh, 
that he always respected him no matter how like he acted towards him or what he goes. Even though uh, you kind of taught me how that being a hero doesn't always have to come from the dark, and like he respected Superman for that. So I just love that the mutual respect they have for each other, but at the same time, they really don't get along all the time. They just go about things in a different way, which I just loved how they did in the animated series. So, yeah, for any Batman-Superman stories or team-ups, the animated series, I think, did it the best. The whole DCU with Justice League, Superman, the animated series, Batman, the animated series. And even in Batman Beyond, where Superman came back, they still carried on that uh, that traditional uh, Batman-Superman banter that they had, where they were just crack jokes at each other. Bruce would think, uh, like, Clark couldn't handle certain things, or Clark would tell Bruce, like, Eh, don't worry, Bruce. Even though you're old, you're going to outlive even me. So even that whole banter and joking that they have is so carried on even when they're old. So, yeah, the animated series is definitely my favorite. But for comics, um, probably around the time I started getting back into comics was around like 2003, 2004, something like that. I believe that's when the first uh, Batman Superman issues started coming out by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. And when I first read those, I thought those were great. Even reading those at the time, I go, oh, that would be awesome if they did an animated movie or made some animated series about this. So when they actually did do the movie, I couldn't wait to see it, and I thought it turned out great. I just loved how in that comic, it kind of showed the contrast between two characters, and the issue even starts out by showing Superman's rocket going to Earth as a baby, and then it shows uh, Bruce's parents getting murdered, just kind of showing the origin stories for both characters, how they're so different, but yet uh, they still come and work together on certain things. So... Yeah, the big thing I like about the whole Batman-Superman team-up is just how differently both characters are. But when they do team-up, there's probably the best team-up in comics, I would have to say. They just work so well together when, in reality, you really don't think it should. <laughs> so, I, as far as, like, new or older comics, I think probably one that sticks out as far as older ones uh, is uh, one by Alan Moore uh, for The Man Who Has Everything, where uh, Superman... The, Batman and Robin are going to give Superman a birthday present, but they find out Mongol has put this plant on him that's kind of making Superman live in a fantasy world where he's living out his, uh, I guess, his his life that he wants it to be, I guess, his dream life. And the whole time Batman and Robin have to fight Mongol, try to get that plant off him. But at the same time, they made a Justice League episode about that, too, which was great. I just loved how it showed the different, uh, what Bruce and Batman consider, I guess, their uh, dream life where Superman's living on Krypton, he has a family, and then what Batman sees is that his father is beating up uh, Joe Chill, who was in the alleyway before he was shoots him. But then once that plant gets off Batman, you see that Joe Chill actually wins and shoots his parents, and then the plant comes off Batman. I just love how that scene played out for both characters, how when the plant comes off, they're losing what they want most in their life, which Bruce and his parents and Superman to have a family on Krypton. So I thought that was another great story as far as comic-wise. And then even in the Justice League animated series, they did a great job of adapting it. So, yeah, there, there's a lot to choose from with Batman and Superman. I mean, of course, there is since they've been around so long, and, of course, they're going to team up for a while. But I guess the more recent stuff, for me anyways, comics-wise, is what sticks out to me. And then, of course, the animated series. I think nothing can beat that. <laughs> yeah, and you know what one I forgot, too, that was really good was Hush. There's some good Batman-Superman stuff in the Hush storyline. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think quite as good, at least for me anyways, what Jeff Loeb did in the Batman Superman uh, title. Yeah. I, I really like the, uh, was the, I believe it was the one after it, the Supergirl one. I thought that was a really cool one, too. But, yeah. Um, I actually 
didn't read too many of those afterwards, the Supergirl one. I'm not sure what happened, <laughs> but I think I kind of got lost in the Batman Superman t- stories. But for me, those first two ones, the uh, Public Enemies and the Supergirl one, are, are some of my favorite Batman Superman team-ups. Yeah, after Jeff Loeb left the book, the the uh, quality went down greatly. I'm trying to think, was that was the Supergirl one his last one, or did he do like another arc after that? Um, I don't know. I, I, I want to say he did, yeah. but but like you said, I know he wasn't on it. I know because it lasted over a hundred issues or something like that. So I know he didn't do all of them, but I think he did a little bit more. But um, that was like the. I think that was the last, like, really good one. That was with Michael Turner. Yeah, but um, I know there's some Batman fans out there who don't like to see Batman and Superman team. You know, kind of what I was saying earlier, they're so different that it, for some people, I guess, it doesn't work. Do any of you guys even have a problem with the just the idea of Batman and Superman working together? Now, I know, Dane, you, you're not, you don't read too many Superman comics. They're not that big on Superman, but just the idea of Batman and Superman teaming up, is that something that, like, Sits well with you, or do you rather just see Batman not have anything to do with Superman? I don't know. It's, sometimes I think it works, but other times I I don't think it works. Like like if you just step back and look, it it, it kind of doesn't work out because I mean Superman's a god and yeah, Batman's just a regular guy. And, and I mean I know that's been said before, but it's hard. It's really really hard to get over that. I mean, I, I don't know how they make it work in the Justice League or JLA or whatever, but every time I read a, um, a Su- Superman-Batman story, that thought constantly crosses my mind. Yeah, I think if the story's not the best, that probably could pop in your head more often than not. But when it's a really good story, for me anyway, that I never think about that. Because I just, like we said, they're opposite, but yet when written well, it works really good to where they just, they're a perfect team-up. And, of course, Batman has uh, Robin but, and Nightwing and Batgirl, who he teams up with more often than Superman. But after them, I would probably say Dick and Alfred and Clark are probably the three people he trusts most. I would say probably first Alfred and Dick and then Superman. Those are probably the three people out of everyone in the whole DC universe is who he has the most trust and faith in. Yeah, but, but going back to um, for the man who has everything, I think Alan Moore did a really good job with that, that whole, you know, Superman's a god kind of thing, because he pretty much just took Superman out of the equation, and it was, you know, Wonder Woman, Jason Todd, one of the only Jason Todd stories I've ever read, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Bruce, and I think he found an effective way to use... Bruce and all of his knowledge and everything that makes Bruce Bruce to, to help Superman out. And, and I feel that it, by taking Superman out of that story, kind of, um, Alan Moore made it work. Yeah, another thing, too, that I like about the whole Batman-Superman relationship is how, like, the trust that they have for each other, that Superman would trust Batman enough to leave him a piece of kryptonite for him to hang on to in case whenever if he ever does lose control or gets his mind taken over and is used to destroy the world or whatever – he trusts Batman to do the right thing and use the kryptonite against them. But I just love how, too, uh, everyone is shocked at that when they find out that Batman has a piece of kryptonite in the Batcave. And, like, why do you have that? And when they kind of find out oh, it's from Superman, they're still puzzled. Like, why would you trust them with all that? So that's another aspect that I like, the trust factor that they have with each other. Probably certain things that Bruce would trust Superman or more than Dick or any other of the Bat, fam- Bat family members, I would say. 
I guess it kind of depends on the situation, but Superman's up there as one of the most people that Bruce can go to when he needs something. Yeah, I mean, I forget what issues it was, but I was reading, you know, the comic, you know, every week or every month or whenever it came out. And I remember that when um, Superman gave Batman the kryptonite ring and he's like, I, you know, I want, you know, the power to stop me in the, the hands of the one man I trust the most. I remember reading that. I was probably like in middle school or high school and being like, wow, like that, that kind of blew me away. And I, I've seen that ring come and go now, and I don't even know in the new 52 if he has that, and it's been destroyed and brought back, and all kinds of weird stuff happened. But yeah, that that, that kryptonite ring is like a cool piece of, of the mythos, and I don't know if it was around even before I I started reading, and it was like a, a reintroduction of it, but um, um, that was uh, kind of cool. Yeah, well, we'll talk about the Justice League number 20 review. Uh you'll find out if the Superman or the Kryptonite ring is still existing. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah, okay. So. Yeah, I didn't read that. And uh, according to the, the Internet here, and everybody knows everything on the Internet is 100% true and accurate. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, Jeff Loeb did up to uh, issue 26 of Superman, Batman. Okay, so that's probably, what, three or four arcs, I would say? Yeah, there was a bunch. He had a few different artists. Okay, well, that clears that up. <laughs> but uh, I don't know... Man of Steel comes out this, as we're recording in just two weeks. I don't think there's going to be any Batman Easter eggs <laughs> thrown in there. Maybe other superheroes or not, but I'm just hoping one day, if we ever talk about this again, we can have a live-action Batman-Superman team-up on our list as one of the greatest Batman-Superman moments or team-up stories. Because that's like the one, last thing missing, <laughs> live-action. Of course, they had that, what was that, during the Adam West era? There was like that superhero hour or something where yeah. they had the, like, Justice League of America tabled all these actors in these horrible superhero costumes. I, I believe Superman was in there, wasn't he? Yeah, I've only seen clips of that, yeah. but oh, God, that was so awful. Yeah, um, There is actually, um, and it's on YouTube, you can see it, there's a fan-made um, trailer called World's Finest oh, yeah, Trailer. That's right, that's right. That is really good. That's a live action. And I remember I showed that to my brother a few years ago just to show him that. And he's like, I want to see this movie. I want to see this movie. So, I mean, that's kind of the... I, people have, like, done some things where they've put in clips of different Batman movies with Smallville and, and or, you know, yeah. and um, Christopher Reeves. And those are always, uh, okay. But the, um, yeah, that Superman Batman World's Finest Trailer... I'm not sure who made it, but that is really good. If it's yeah. the one I think you're talking about, I believe it's the same guy who did the Batman Dead End fan film. Okay, yeah, I think so. If it's the yeah. one where uh, Luthor and Two-Face kind of team up. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Yeah. yeah that has some cool shots. And always, and then, I always oh, think ahead. when they do those fan uh, movies, but they're actually fan trailers, like they get all these like sets and props and everything for like a two-second shot since they're only doing it for a they're making it as a trailer. Like they just do all that work for like maybe a two-second shot for one scene. Yeah, it just shows how committed they are to making it look like a real trailer. But yeah, yeah. You know, I asked my brother because my brother works in like television and, and video and film, and I said like a lot of the guys will will people will do that to um, try to showcase their talent, hoping it'll you know get them jobs and get them work and get them you know noticed. Um, and so that's why a lot of them will do it. But, yeah, I, I put it on right here now. It's it's really good. It starts off with Superman, like, catching a car and all this stuff. So, yeah, they spent a lot of money on, on this, whoever made it. Yeah, that's some of the 
stuff that reminded me of the animated series little things too where I think they're, they're not actually at a nightclub but they're at some like, party and then you see uh, Batman kind of drop down on a table and it catches everybody by surprise kind of like how it was in the nightclub scene in the animated series yeah yeah, I mean, but yeah, you're right. When you're watching that, you're like, oh, if only this was real. <laughs> I think it's the same guys too who did that uh, trailer for Grayson. Did you ever see that one? Um, a long time ago. I haven't really seen it in a long time. To me, I, don't, I remember it not being as good as the uh, Dead End one, yeah. which I think is still the best Batman. Guys is a good one. Yeah, I just watched. They just showed the guy who plays Perry White. He, <laughs> he's quite large. <laughs> <laughs> and then they got Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he's got like two girls on his arms, and, and Lois is like, ooh, he's good looking here. Um, but yeah, uh, the last shot in that's really cool too. Where like I think Two Face has Superman down with Kryptonite, then all of a sudden you see Batman lift his cape up from behind, like you just see his silhouette kind of, and that's where the trailer ends, I believe. So yeah. I just love that shot. <laughs> The um, also too, if you ever watch on the uh, YouTube, you ever see when they they do those things like how it should have ended? Yeah, yeah, and they have like Batman and Superman sitting in the cafe at yeah. the end of all of them. <laughs> Even though that's silly and goofy, I, I like those a lot. Those are pretty funny. He's like, I'm Batman. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> oh, and they, right here, I'm watching the trailer. They got Lex in his power suit too, the purple and, and green. It actually looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. They built that suit for one, a, what, a two second shot at the most for a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully it'll be a real thing one of these days. <laughs> hopefully in the next oh, five years just jumped on the table. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the right one. Yeah. I had one quick question for you on the topic, if you don't, if you don't mind. Um, are there any Batman, Superman team-ups or anything that, that you did not like where you were just like, oh, God, what are they doing? Nothing's really coming to mind. I'll well, tell I, you the one that – oh, go ahead. I'm yeah. just going to say I'm someone who's kind of pretty easy to please when it comes to a lot of comic <laughs> book stories and stuff so if it's bad it has to be really bad for me to think i hate it for me to hate it the one that i was not a fan of and it was a long story i think it was like 20 parts or so when the superman um creative team took the joker and they did that whole like emperor joker line and the joker got the power of mr mixelplex and yeah, i'm not I, sure how much batman was in that but to me that was just like they took something really cool for batman and just kind of exploited it and it didn't really work very well and brave and the bold did a uh, uh episode on it as yeah. well but I, I was not a big fan of the whole emperor joker thing you see i i haven't read it i saw the brave and the bold episode and i actually liked that one but the comic i actually heard is pretty good but i haven't actually read it so <laughs> interesting to hear that you didn't like it so i wonder how much the brave and the bold episode actually took them that or not because i really liked the brave and the bold one they took a lot but it was a little easier to handle in a 22 minute you know, cartoon than it was in this, you know, long drawn out thing. Ed McGinnis did a lot of the art for that. So the, it looks nice. You know, Superman's got lots of muscles in it, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I just think cause of the Joker, I think he, sh I like him better as like a street level kind of guy instead of some all powerful being. But, um, yeah, no, nothing really pops to mind other than Batman, Superman not working. Cause I think I just forget about it. There's a lot, that they're in together, but yeah, I'm there's sure a lot of great interaction and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure there are stories on there that aren't necessarily good, but for the ones that I read and recall anyway right now, <laughs> to me, for the most part, they've been pretty cool. Yeah. Especially when you come to the animated series, there's nothing wrong in there for any Batman Superman episodes. And I, I'm just think I think there will be some kind of Batman teaser or Easter egg or something. I think there'll be some kind of Easter egg from the Dark Knight 
in Man of Steel. And the only thing is going to be so <laughs> over the head, like um, you know the the Marvel universe does. But like if you've seen Watchmen, you know um, there's like a little thing to the movie 300 where it starts off and. Um, they throw like a coffee cup at the door and the comedian's apartment is like 3001 and it knocks the little one off the door. So it just says uh. 300 for a second. So like kind of like a nod to the last movie, you know, Scott, uh, not Scott. What was his, who's was Zach Blank Snyder. Snyder. <laughs> Zach Snyder. I was going to call him Scott Snyder, uh, was making. Um, so I think there might be a little something like that, like in the background or something, or maybe Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a Robin costume running like the pixie (laughs) with the pixie boots. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I think we'll get some DC hero cameo or not cameo, but Easter egg, but Batman, I just don't think they're going to do it with Batman just yet. That's just my I think what's going to happen is Zod is going to have, you know, Superman defeated, about to kill him, get the killing blow, and then that's when Gordon Levitt will come in as Robin and <laughs> save it. <laughs> you keep calling him as Robin, but he's Batman now. <laughs> that's right, yeah. But yeah. his real name is Robin. <laughs> it's gonna, they're going to use some lesser-known DC character that's not going to get anyone excited, probably. <laughs> yeah. The in comes Plastic Man to save the day. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Dane wants to do a Plastic Man podcast. We should do like a Plastic Man podcast, but never once talk about Plastic Man. Like talk about everything. <laughs> Not that there's much to talk about with Plastic Man, but be the Plastic Man podcast, but never, never once mention Plastic Man. <laughs> It'll be Elongated Man instead. Yeah. Let's confuse them both. Yeah. If we did a Plastic Man podcast, do you think we would get any listeners? <laughs> I'm sure Alex would take a listen for one episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alex doesn't count because he's a, he's a bad fans listener. <laughs> oh, sorry, bad fans without pants listener. My bad. And what's our slogan, Terrence? If you're listening to a Batman podcast, it's probably not us. <laughs> <laughs> I love that slogan. Yeah, that is really good. <laughs> <laughs> got to trademark that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was watching um, The Dark Knight Rises, and I didn't notice this be- before or, you know, in other viewings, but you know when uh, Bane's guys drop down from the airplane above the other airplane? Uh-huh. And they they land on the wing, right? Or what? It looks like they land on the wing. Try look at the guy in the front, cause he he goes head first right into the side of the airplane. Oh really? And it, yeah, I think that's a screw up or something. He just bumps his head. Right, in not, no, he goes flying like head first into the side of the plane. I mean, it's, it, he's lucky he was wearing a helmet. Huh. Yeah, I never noticed that. Nobody noticed that. <laughs> I was no, like, wow. Like I know you don't watch what. As I say, I know you don't watch a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, Dane, but if you ever see the behind-the-scenes on that, I mean, they did a lot of that stuff for real, dropping out of planes and stuff. It's pretty crazy. So it could have been, you know, a real thing, yeah. And I guess, what's that, the 30th time you've seen it now, probably, Dane? <laughs> Maybe you're just picking up on things that I haven't yet. I'm still not well, quite I'm up to 30. <laughs> I've slowed down to the scenes instead of the whole movie. You know, oh, okay, it's, yeah. it's more like a Bane fight or... Or you know, uh, uh, Bruce going out of the the prison, climbing up, climbing out of the prison, you know, stuff like that. It's not so much, 
watch the entire movie <laughs> from beginning to end. No, maybe one of these days we should watch the, the Dark Knight trilogy or the Star Wars movies all in slow motion so we could pick up every little detail <laughs> <laughs> all the way through. It'll take, well, like 10 hours or so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'll probably still miss stuff. But anyway, um, we don't really have... A lot of news. I mean, there's this uh, Arkham Origins details in trailer. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it. Yeah, that, Tim? Yeah. You remember they came out with, like, that five-second teaser trailer, like, two weeks ago? Like a teaser for the trailer? <laughs> <laughs> well, the actual trailer finally came out. I don't know if you guys saw it. It's really cool. It's just a CG trailer. It doesn't show any gameplay or anything, but just a really awesome fight sequence between Batman and Deathstroke. And then at the end, uh, I believe it's Deadshot, because there's a sniper who kind of... Sh- stops Deathstroke from fighting Batman because Deadshot wants to get the kill since the story of the game is that there are all these assassins after him. So then he stops Deathstroke and then there's like an explosion that happens where Batman's able to get away. They just see Black Mask come out from the explosion kind of telling Deathstroke like the typical villain thing like you didn't get him this time and then Deathstroke's complaining well maybe if you didn't hire anyone else to kill him I would have. And so it was just a pretty cool trailer mainly for the fight sequences. But in the trailer, Batman doesn't say a word, but unfortunately it has been confirmed that Kevin Conroy is not going to be doing the voice for this game. It's actually going to be <laughs> someone named Roger Craig Smith, who has done the Assassin's Creed games, and it says I think he's done a Sonic game before, but I'm not too familiar with them. But this kind of caused a bunch of confusion because at a was at some comic convention, I forget exactly where, but Kevin Conroy did a panel, and he did say, I'm doing the next Arkham game. And so everyone thought, oh, he is doing it. Then WB officially said, no, Roger Craig Smith is doing it. So it's like, what's Kevin Conroy talking about then? So now it's like <laughs> Kevin Conroy is doing the Ar- next Arkham game by Rocksteady is what everyone's thinking he's talking about. Like, not the prequel, but probably the sequel. So <laughs> we don't know for sure yeah, exactly yeah, what. But, yeah, but what's, I mean, why did WB give it to this new gaming studio or video game studio? to do this one game, and then they're going to go back to Rocksteady? The reason I think it is Rocksteady probably wants more time to make this game great, and WB wants no. to make Batman game out now so they can make some money, because it's already been two years since Arkham City. And so they probably yeah, think, right. we'll give it to this developer, they can do their own thing, and then when Rocksteady's ready, they can release their game. Yeah, what's the name of the company? It's just the uh, new w- company. Just Warner Brothers uh, Montreal. I think Warner Brothers Studios Montreal is their name. Yeah, I think they have one of the best jobs in the world. And I'll tell you why. Because they practically don't have to change anything. <laughs> yep, you're they, right. They just need the engine, right? Yep. They may add a few certain things here, but yeah, the combat system's yep. all there. The graphics engine's there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's they don't have to change anything. They don't have to do anything. They just need to put the game together. That's essentially all they need to do. But... But is um, Paul Dini writing this one? No, that's another thing. <laughs> He's not oh. doing it. <laughs> and here's the other new information that just came out, too, not too long ago, that kind of took me by surprise. But the Joker is going to be in the game. And, of course, if Cameron Conroy is not doing Batman, Mark Hamill is not doing the Joker. So but we're having a new Joker voice, too. I'm just kind of surprised that they're using the Joker in this game. They don't say if he's going to have a big role in it. They just say... Because they had a demo for some of the different uh, video game sites they got to play. And he just popped up in one of these areas that Batman was in. I believe it was him and Bane. So I did find, kind of find it surprising that the Joker is going to be in it. I just hope they're not just throwing him in there just to have him in there. If he is going to be there, I hope it's integral to the story that they're doing. Because I just 
hope they don't feel, oh, we just have to have Joker in every single Batman game, because they really don't need to. Yeah. Yeah, so so what if it's more like like um, the end of Batman Begins, where it's like, and take this guy, you know, armed robbery. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I actually wouldn't mind that. If that's all they wanted to do with him, that's fine. Instead really? Of, yeah. I mean, instead of hiring, like, a, getting a new voice actor for, like, a real small segment, I would rather mm-hmm. just have, like, a small mention of him instead of trying to have him be a big part of it but when he's not really a big part of the game. I mean, we don't know yet, but they're going to play him yeah. small to just do it. Like, just have a quick mention or something. Or maybe if they do it more like, you know, the Scarecrow levels in mm-hmm. Arkham City, I mean, Arkham... Asylum. Yeah. What if it's more like that, but you don't know it's the Joker? Yeah. I mean, you, us Batman fans will know it's the Joker probably, but maybe like you kind of don't know if it's the Joker or not. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. And if I think since this is called Arkham Origins and it's early in his Batman career, maybe yeah. like you said, Dane, they have like these separate side quests that lead up to your encounter with Joker and the Axis Chemicals, where he's the Red Hood, and that's where you see him actually become the Joker, and you play that out. I think that actually be even better. Why do you say that? Now that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and going back to the the scarecrow, do do you guys like his look in in um, Arkham Asylum? Because I really like it. Uh, for me, I actually had to warm up to it. At first, I kind of missed his uh, his uh, typical costume with the hat and everything. But after playing it more, it is really a cool design. This is one yeah. of the creepier scarecrow designs with the hood and the mask that he has on there. Yeah, I liked it. That, that's actually one of my favorite parts of the first game is all the scarecrow stuff. Yeah, did you guys get faked out when, I think it was the last one, where uh, your system looks like it shuts off and it resets the game to, like, the opening cinematic? <laughs> I haven't got that far yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, now you won't be. <laughs> I'm still at, like, 2%. So I, I tried to play it one time, and, like, they called Catwoman, some nasty names and stuff. And my wife is like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "All right, this is not for when the kids are around, and the kids so the are always around." So the thing I'm talking about is actually from Arkham Asylum, not Arkham City. Oh, and it shut the thing up. I don't remember that happening. Yeah, because like it resets your game because it starts the opening cinematic again, but it's in reverse. Like Joker's driving the Batmobile, like Batman's the one being taken. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember if that tricked me out, but I did. I do remember thinking that was cool. Now that you say that, yeah, yeah, I really hope it probably have, did trick me out. Yeah. Hope they have something similar like that in Arkham Origins because that's something I felt was missing in Arkham City. They tried to do it with the Mad Hatter stuff, but it just wasn't the same. And there are going to do something like that, but I think they're going to use the villain Anarchy for some of the side mission stuff. So we'll see how his missions are, but the Scarecrow oh. ones are going to be tough to top. Yeah, I always liked Anarchy as a villain, and um, he's he's going to be a big part of the new Batman animated series. So That's maybe right. a new like 2013 will be the year of Anarchy. <laughs> Must be a pretty slow year of that. Anarchy. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm hoping it's the year of Superman. <laughs> yeah, but did any of you guys see the new trailer or not yet? I only saw the stills from it, but the the black mask looks awesome. Yeah, definitely check it out. I mean, it's really cool. And speaking of trailers, did you guys uh, check out the uh, Justice League Flashpoint trailer yet? Yeah, that uh, that made me very happy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of the most anticipated DC animated movies, for me anyway, other than the Batman ones. Probably out of all the Justice League ones, this is the one that has me most excited. Just because I really like the comic and it's that it's so soon after the comic was released. And... Visually, it looks really cool. The voice cast seems like it's going to be a good fit. 
Kevin Conroy's in it for a little bit, so that's always a plus. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for it to come out. I love that the Batman with the the red and the yeah. red circle, and seeing that how they they were true to that was really cool. And um, a lot of the Flash was in it. That was pretty awesome. And um, yeah, just there was no Superman in it, but that might be the reveal because he's so different in the yeah. Flashpoint. So it looked like they got rid of a lot of the uh, uh, Themyscira versus Atlantis war and just did it as like World War Three. But um, it was also awesome to see the reverse Flash. I was like, yes. So yeah, uh, yeah, I. I, I that's going to be a good one. And they had the whole um, electric chair thing in it, too. So And it, and it said, like, from Jeff Johns. So, yeah, that, that looks really good. Yeah, looks like they're going to do a good job adapting it from the comic. I can't wait. Okay, Tim. Um, you can only meet one person. Uh, Kevin Conroy. Or? Or James Arnold Taylor. Oh, see, this is easy. I already met James Arnold Taylor, so uh, I'll be No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. The, you haven't met James Arnold Taylor uh, yet. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Uh, I'm gonna have to go with Kevin Conroy. His voice is just is the coolest voice ever, <laughs> and for doing it for over 20 years now, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know my all-time favorite thing ever for like writing is the the play Hamlet, and in one of the Batman, um, Batman Adventures, which was like the comic books based on the Batman animated series, they had like a theater in it, and in the background it said like. Kevin Conroy as Hamlet, and I was like, "Oh, that would be so great!" <laughs> and I've been dreaming about that for the last one, whatever that was. But yeah, well, he actually compared like when he's auditioned for the role of Batman, they kind of described how it's going to be. He even says that, "Well, this is basically Hamlet. Like this is yeah. kind of the Batman I'm familiar with. This is going to be great." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I kind of noticed too at different conventions that Kevin Conroy does. He usually does this famous line like, "I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman." <laughs> yeah. I just noticed though, like he. I don't know if it's on purpose, but it's like he holds back a little bit for sounding exactly like he does in the animated series. To me, I, don't, I think he does it on purpose. Maybe he doesn't want to give it, he saves it for his performance and not just doing it casually. But there's something where it doesn't sound quite exactly how he normally does it in all the projects that he does. Have you seen him in person or uh, on video? No, just like other okay. video clips I've seen and yeah. audio stuff I've heard. Maybe it's just me, but <laughs> this is something I've picked up on where it just doesn't sound quite the same. So, so what would you rather do, Tim? Um, let's say your cousin, your really good cousin, was getting married on the same day that you were going to meet Kevin Conway, but you can only <laughs> do one. What do you do? Well, I'm sure someone will videotape the wedding, so... Plus, <laughs> 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 we'll see how long the Kevin Conroy... Encounter it last. Maybe it's quick and I can do both. No, no. It's like sit down, talk with him for a couple of hours. You know, you can ask him anything you want. I doubt he want to talk to me for a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably once in a lifetime experience, though. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably. Right. <laughs> they won't miss me. <laughs> yeah, you've kidnapped him and taken him hostage, and so you can talk to him for a couple hours. Which would you pick? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I have Batman in my basement. <laughs> or maybe he'd like to go to the wedding. <laughs> yeah. He could be the MC. But he has to do it in the, the Batman voice. Exactly, he can't yes. do it in his regular voice. Yes. Or oh, that would be the coolest wedding ever. If, yeah. If you could get Kevin Conroy to MC your wedding. Yeah. I remember uh, you and me were talking on Twitter, Terrence, because we were, we were saying how in uh, Star Trek in the Darkness it had Peter Weller and Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, and we were saying all I needed was Kevin Conroy. Yeah, and now, now we're gonna 
save Kevin Conway for his appearance in the Star Wars Episode 7. <laughs> yeah. Like, how cool that would be, <laughs> hearing him say the line, may the force be with you. Well, see, you want him to be a Jedi. I want him to be a Sith. So I guess, you know, <laughs> I'm more of a dark side kind of guy. <laughs> His voice may fit a Sith more, though. Especially yeah. if they have a, a mask or a helmet like Darth Vader. <laughs> Actually, I have a really good friend, and I've been friends with him for forever. And he is very upset that I like the dark side more than the Jedi. <laughs> it actually, like, physically bothers him. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, the Empire is really cool. I like the Empire a lot. And he's just like, oh, man, how could you do that? But you know what? I'm kind of the same. I like the Jedi, but when it comes to the Rebellion and the Empire, like, before the prequels and Clone Wars ever came out, it was just the original trilogy, I was always on the side of the Empire. <laughs> yeah. Because they look so cool. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. The look and Vader's. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, so we also have this this uh, Heath Ledger thing. Tim, you're apparently the only person that's watched this thing. But, but it's Heath Ledger's dad talking or, or showing this document documentary crew uh, Heath Ledger's journals while he was creating the Joker, or his, his interpretation of the Joker? Yeah, I mean, it just came out a few days ago, actually, but um, it's a TV show in Germany, I think it's called, like, Too Young to Die, it's like a documentary show, I guess they're doing something on Heath Ledger, and there's a clip where Heath's dad is kind of showing the documentary crew the journal that Heath had when he was doing the Joker, I think we remember hearing that he always kept a journal preparing for the role as a Joker. And he opens it up, and you can't really make out what's written in there, but he has some pretty cool, like, cutouts of some Joker images from the comics, and it's kind of a picture of him in the makeup in there, too. It just looked really cool. And his dad was talking about it, but unfortunately the clip that's on there is kind of overdubbed in another language, so you can't really hear what he's saying. You can kind of hear certain stuff in the background, but you might miss certain things. But it's just cool to see that diary in hand that he used to give us that great performance so it's definitely worth checking out did you learn how to say the joker in german <laughs> uh no i didn't oh, okay. <laughs> what is it just the joker <laughs> yeah the, joker? <laughs> the uh yeah the well you know when Heath Ledger first died that was like big in the news of like they said that a lot oh he kept a journal and i remember the original like press was kind of angling it like almost like the joker role killed him like he couldn't yeah. take it and he took all this medicine to try to sleep because he had nightmares and and that kind of talk has died down and i don't hear that anymore but i wonder like if there's anything in the journal that might like add fuel to that fire or you know but i always assumed it was probably just a lot of just stuff copied out of the comics and, and things like that but it would be awesome to see if they ever published it yeah, it would be. I mean, I doubt this family would, but yeah, it would just be really interesting to read. I know. I remember reading one thing in it. It was like a to-do list that he had copied from, shoot, I forget what comic it was. Like the, I forget where it was from, but the Joker had like a to-do list, and um, Heath Ledger had copied that in the journal, like the Joker's to-do list. Um, I'll see if I can find that. I remember, too, like when it was first announced, when Heath was cast, he kind of made some quotes that were... I don't know if it was close, but stuff I read with him saying like he was never big into comic book movies, doesn't really care for them, and that or comic books in general. And I was kind of thinking to myself like, uh, is this going to be the right guy for the role? But then when you <laughs> read the stuff and all the amount of work that he put into it, like the diary and everything, it was like, and of course when you see it on screen, yeah, he definitely was right for it. <laughs> just the the amount of effort that he put into his role, just yeah, it was almost second to none, really. 
the devotion he had to the character. I wonder if he did that for every role or if it was just for this one. Yeah, and I wonder if it's because it's so big, if that's where it got the most attention and mm. revealed that he did have a diary. But, yeah, like you said, maybe he did that for every role. <laughs> Night's <Nice> Tale. <laughs> well, maybe not that one. <laughs> I like Heath Ledger. I really do. But that movie is, I don't know, I tried to like it. But, but I just couldn't get into it. You know, the whole thing where he's a knight and, oh, he just so happens to be part of, oh, wait, spoiler alert if you haven't seen A Knight's Tale. <laughs> but <laughs> he just so happens to be part of a royal family or something, or a family of wealth or something. Of course. I just thought that was a little too cliched and predictable. <laughs> but also, I thought it was done with the movie. It's set in, like, the medieval times, but they're playing uh, rock music. Didn't they play, like, Queen's Evil Rock You in a certain <laughs> mm-hmm. scene? It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Do you think it would have been okay if it, if it, um, if those spectators weren't doing the, the drum beat and it, the, the song was just playing over the, the, the movie? Yeah, still. <laughs> they shouldn't have any reference to modern music in a medieval <laughs> Well, and to bring it back to... to make it cool. Exactly. Yeah, bring it back to Star Wars. You see Lucas, like, there were a lot of people who wanted Lucas to have, like, 70s disco yeah. music, and he went with the John Williams theme. But <laughs> can you imagine Star Wars, how different it would be? If, like, <laughs> and yet they still made a Star Wars disco theme song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that the one they play at the end of every Rebel Force radio? Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. That uh, Joker to-do list was on the, the, the series Joker's Last Laugh, where they told Joker he has cancer and he goes around. But um, the, the thing, some of them are here, it's like things to do. One Number one, spread the love, ideas, a laughing fish in every pot, world's biggest smiley face. But my favorite one to do is call Gordon, ask for Sarah, then hang up. Repeat. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, right there. Yeah. Was, like I said, how much more of that stuff is actually in that diary? But yeah. We'll see if we ever find out. Do you know what comics he actually did use? I mean, I know he said Killing Joke and uh, Arkham Asylum, but do you know what else he used? I think the only other one that I know was referenced was Batman Number One, his first appearance. Oh, I see. Yeah, which you can definitely see the influence of that comic in the movie. Yeah, and for for some reason. The the Joker from Batman number one is so creepy. Yeah, it's it's creepier than than some of the Joker images we we see today. I mean, just the teeth and the yep. smile and like his eyes are really big. It's creepy. Yeah, I totally agree. Maybe not as creepy as Cesar Romero with the mustache, but <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't did not want to get rid of that mustache. I mean, I mean. You can regrow mustaches. I mean, unless you didn't want to be seen around without a mustache for that time he was filming Batman, but it was only for like two years. Yeah, that's just so important to him, I guess. <laughs> hey, the the journal. I was just looking it up here. I I'm going to see it, but the very last thing that Heath Ledger wrote in the journal was "bye bye." So it's like, wow. <laughs> Say his father said that's the emo- most emotional thing to see, you know. So it's kind of yeah, saying bye bye. <laughs> like, yeah. So so who got all of Heath Ledger's money when he died? Was it his daughter or his family? I'm not sure. I'm sure some of it goes to his his daughter. He never got married, right? I think he did, or I th- I think they got it's divorced. It. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure once she's old enough, it is going to go to most of it. Probably go to her. That's a lucky little girl, man. I mean, she she doesn't have her father, but she's getting all of his money. (laughs) 
I think she has the Oscar, too, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, but is the Oscar actually gold, or is it, like, painted? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They might be cheap enough just to have it painted over. <laughs> Who knows? It's plastic. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's, like it's like the kind, yeah. It's it's like the kind of trophy that you get when uh, you know at the end of your little league season yeah. that they give everybody. <laughs> That'd be like, funny if it was. Yeah, I'm not putting this up in my house. It's plastic. Yeah, according my to the shelf the... is more expensive than the statue. <laughs> Yeah, according to the internet, there was all kinds of controversy over his will, and I guess his father was suing, but by September 2008, it was agreed that Matilda would get all of his income, which was $16.3 million plus oh. another another $20 million that he got from um, the Dark Knight. That was his share of the Dark Knight's gross, so it's wow. like almost $40 million there for that little girl. Yeah, yeah so she said... <laughs> Yeah. So, so who was the dad suing? The daughter? Yeah. The the oh, yeah. God. Jesus. Yeah. That's crazy. But anyways, that's our um, celebrity gossip section. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess we can move on into our um, our listener or our conversation with Alex section. So, uh, Terrence, why don't you take it away, man? Okay. So Alex wrote us a, an email in response to episode thirty. And he says, hey, Bat fans, which now will be fat fans without pants. Uh, um, great conversation, as always. I agree with what you're saying in regards to a Justice League movie. And, of course, he'd agree because we're right, darn it. Okay. I'm okay with – Exactly, yeah. He says, I'm okay with standalone films because they um, will have less restraints with continuity between films. I just want them to make the best movies they can. After watching the Captain America movie, I was disappointed that they couldn't spend more time focusing on character development and the war. I would have liked at least another movie set within the war, but I felt like they had to speed things up for the Avengers movie. All the Marvel movies seem very formulaic to me because of this, hence why I didn't care to see them until they were on DVD and figured I'd see the sequels in theaters when there was less restraints in the sequels. However, now that there's an Avengers 2, I hope that it doesn't interfere with the story. It also doesn't help that there's different act, uh, different directors for each of their sequels. And just a side note here, um, they, they showed the trailer to Thor 2 in Star Trek, and yeah. I don't know, it did not look good. It, or it, did not, it didn't look bad, but it didn't look that good to me. What did you think of that, that trailer, Tim? Yeah, I thought it looked cool. I mean, okay. I didn't get a vibe. It's like, oh, this looks amazing or way better than the first one or anything. If anything, I think it's going to be as good as the first one. Yeah, like it didn't blow me away. Yeah. Like, I, I wasn't like, oh, this is bad. But it, it was kind of just like, oh, okay, you know, more of the same. Um, all right, so Alex continues. I get with what you were saying about it being odd that a DC hero didn't get involved in The Dark Knight Rises if they shared a universe. However, I think it would have been pretty sweet if there was a deleted scene on the upcoming Ultimate Trilogy edition of the Nolan movies of Superman saving Batman at the end of the movie, and that was how he escaped the explosion. Uh, that would be interesting. I don't know if there would be any deleted scenes. But you know what? Whatever happened to those Ultimate editions? I thought those would be out before, like, during the Man of Steel was supposed to be released. I mean, we haven't heard anything on those for a long time. I thought they were coming out at the end of the year. Mm. I, I thought they were at the end of the year. Maybe that's the case. I For some reason, I thought it was, like, during 
uh, Man of Steel's release kind of have something to, I guess, hype that up. But maybe you're right. But yeah, I just haven't heard of anything on those for a long time. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. For some reason, I thought it was like the fall or closer to Christmas. But yeah, I just get a bad feeling that they'll just be the same thing with just different packaging. Yeah, it um, better not be. But, yeah, actually, it's kind of funny, too, because when Superman Returns came out, they came out with a lot. They came out with a whole box set yeah. and everything, and I, I I got, like, some, like, 22-disc <laughs> edition that has, like, everything Superman in it. Uh, but I, I haven't seen any of that um, this time around. Um, all right, so Alex continues, being that the Avengers was – actually, let me just say here, I think it would be better if the deleted scene has Plastic Man saving <laughs> Batman at the end. <laughs> it's like Big Hand comes and reaches him. But um, all right, being that The Avengers was almost an adaptation of the Ultimate story, what do you think would be a good story for a loose adaptation for the Justice League movie? So um, that's a good question. And um, I don't know. I would actually prefer them to just do a, a brand new story and not try to uh, recreate something from the comics or just take a little bit. But if I had to pick, I would go with Grant Morrison's run. Um, he used Batman really well. Batman was more of in the shadows. And I, I had heard that that original Justice League movie that they were going to make a few years back um, was kind of based on that with the Martians and different types of Martians. Um, but, um, you guys, any thoughts? What um, stories they should base a Justice League movie on? Uh, for me, not as far as story, but at least character interactions and character introductions. I really like what Jeff Johns did in the, the New 52 Justice League in the first few issues. I really like how the characters first met each other, how they interacted, and then how they all came together. Maybe the whole story with Darkseid and everything wasn't <laughs> like nothing groundbreaking and it was kind of had an anticlimactic ending, but as far as character development and the way the characters get together, I'd like to see something kind of based on that, because I thought that was really good. That's a really tough question, because it depends on how you're approaching the movie. I mean, are, are you just going to go straight in and introduce the characters one by one, by one, by one, and on and on and on um, in one movie? Or are you going to do what Marvel did? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're going to you know introduce each character one by one, then I feel that you should come up with um, come up with a, an original story. But if you, you're gonna do what Marvel did, I think you should use a lot of different comics, you know. And the the question is, is you know, if this Justice League movie does go into production, do you pull Darkseid out right in that movie, or do you save him as a cliffhanger? For the second. Yeah, I would like to see him first, because I think if they save him for another one, like a cliffhanger, that's kind of ripping off what the Avengers did and that with Thanos at the end of the first movie. At the same time, too, I think Darkseid is a is probably the biggest threat in the DC universe to get the team together. And, I mean, there are other avenues they can do, like with uh, Justice League, they have uh, the alien race that wiped out the, the Mars, on Mars, the White Martians that wiped out the Martian Manhunters race. There was a big invasion for the Just League animated series, so it's probably going to be some alien invasion, I would think. But at the same time, I think, too, it'd be different from what Marvel's did, because that's kind of the same thing. Will they go a different route, where maybe it's a government-related thing, and maybe the team's already established, and they'll go with, like, a government thing, trying to bring them down where they're not trusting them, or, like we said, we don't know what the story's going to be, but it's going to be an origin of the team, or are they going to be established? 
Or maybe they'll do a thing where the team has been around, they disbanded, but now they have to come back for the first time in years. So, yeah, who knows? Okay, continuing on with Alex. He's got some questions for us. He said, what are your favorite comic book runs? Do you have any collectibles? And if so, what are some of your favorite that you own? And what's a DC character you really wanted to get into but just couldn't? And uh, favorite comic book runs, I really was a huge fan of the whole Justice League International run. I had that entire run for, I think it went on for over a decade, which was just a lot of fun. And it doesn't hold up as well now, and it's kind of silly and goofy, but that was a lot of fun at the time. And um, just the, the whole Nightfall run, having all that was a lot of fun. Uh, and even, I just, I've kind of read it recently, but... Um, the, the Marvel run of Captain America with the whole Winter Soldier was really, really a good run. Um, I, I have some collectibles, not as much as I'd like because of fi- uh, financial, but my favorite is uh, I have a, a Batgirl from the animated series where she's sitting on like the Bat Signal Klieg light. That, that one's my favorite for some reason. And uh, a character I wanted to get into but just couldn't, and I can't really think of one. I, I think I've kind of been into a, pretty much all the DC characters. There's, there's some DC characters I wish they would do more with, but uh, I can't really think of one that I really wanted to get into and just never could. So how about you guys? Yeah, for me, uh, for the first question, my favorite run, as far as Batman goes, of course, it's going to be Nightfall is going to be up there. And, uh, so Scott Snyder stuff, even though it's more recent, his run so far is going to be like one that's going to be one that's going to be long remembered. But uh, seeing how it just ended, I probably have to say one of my favorites is going to have to be Jeff Johns' run on Green Lantern. In the nine years that he was on that book, pretty much all of it was great. The stuff he established with the character, creating a whole new mythology for the whole Green Lantern universe, and then the last issue that just came out, number twenty. You couldn't ask for a better ending to his run. It just wrapped up everything perfectly and nicely with the, the characters. Kind of felt like it was watching a series finale to a TV show you've been watching for nine years, and it this ended the way you wanted to. So I'd probably have to go with Jeff Johns. It's pretty high up there for me on his Green Lantern run. And then for collectibles, probably my favorite one is going to be a Star Wars-related one. Uh, it's a statue of a clone trooper, Commander Cody. From the company Attackus, I believe it's called. There's these really detailed uh, statues. I mean, the one I have is Cody looking at a hologram of Emperor Palpatine as he's issuing Order 66. And that's probably like my most prized collectible that I have. Seeing how I paid a lot for it, too. So <laughs> it's up there as my favorite. And then, as far as heroes that I couldn't really get into, one that comes to mind is uh, Hawkman. He's like. The premise of the character and, like, the whole Thanagarian race and their, uh, how they're detectives and then they send, he was sent to Earth and they had that kind of reincarnation thing that's going on. There are several different, several different, I think, origins for Hawkman, but when I read it, I just can't, I just don't like the character in the comics. <laughs> he comes off one of those guys who's, like, those tough guys who thinks he knows all the answers and write about everything and just comes off as a jerk, so Hawkman's really one of them, and then, I hear it's good now, but uh, Green Arrow is the character that I like. And when they first rebooted in the New 52, I really didn't like what they did <laughs> in those first few issues. I heard now that Jeff Lemire's on it. It's been good, but I haven't had a chance to go back and start reading those again. So those would be two of them. Did you like uh, Hawkman in Smallville? Uh, he, he was tolerable in that for me, more so in the comics than he was. Okay. 
yeah, yeah. okay. All right, for me, uh, favorite comic book runs, anything by Alan Grant, anything by, by Brian Azzarello, and uh, Brian Q. Miller's Stephanie Brown Batgirl run, which I really, really liked. And, you know, for the most part, I mean, I know it kind of slacked it off towards the end, kind of in the middle, but Paul Dini's Streets of Gotham. Yeah, that was good in the first few issues. Yeah. And, of course, Greg Rucka, J.H. Williams, and Hayden Blackman, their Batwoman runs. So, yeah, that's it for comic book runs. Um, I don't really have any collectibles. I don't know. I just don't collect. I'm not really into that. Definitely good for your wallet. <laughs> yeah, so so how much did you pay for that uh, Emperor Palpatine clone trooper helmet? Well, it's not just the helmet. It's a statue. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, it was like 400 bucks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most I ever spent for a toy or a statue or anything. <laughs> well, I mean, you love Star Wars, and that definitely proves it. Yeah, because you know what? It was during the time the... Uh, Umbara arc was airing during the Clone Wars season four, and I was like, I was loving that arc and anything with clones. I was like, uh, I just love that statue. I'm gonna have to get it. <laughs> I don't know. Did you get your, Did you get your new Star Wars Insider yet? No, I didn't get it yet. I, I, I'm not getting it digitally anymore. What? I paid for the subscription. The, the last one I got was um, which one was it? Hold on, uh, Fate of the Jedi. I think it was a few wishes ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I haven't been getting it. I, I keep on refreshing uh, my my app and it, you know, erasing it and re-downloading it, but it still yeah, hasn't. Weird. <laughs> I know. So yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, in the newest issues, they have a new toy of the uh, the clone commander Wolf. And that's like the next one I want to get now because that looks really cool too. <laughs> it's not quite four hundred, so it might be easier to get. <laughs> Do they have a waxer and boil uh, figuring? No, I don't think so. That uh, would be cool to have too. <laughs> yeah. And finally, my, um, or a DC character that I really wanted to get into but just couldn't, Green Lantern. I really wanted to get into Green Lantern. I like Hal Jordan as a character. I love his backstory. I like what DC did with him before the New 52. And uh, one of my favorite comics overall is the, um, I can't remember the name of it. You, you and me, Tim, we were talking about it. But you haven't read it. I think it's called, like, Reborn or something? Not Rebirth, is it? No, no, no. Yeah, because I definitely read that one. <laughs> it's the one that's that's focused on how Jordan's friend, the, the Native American guy. Okay. They call him something pie. So it's like his nickname. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's like, an alcoholic in that story. And how uh, Jordan leaves him a, a note that says, that says, fix it. And, you know, he's frustrated about that. And he's angry at Hal Jordan for doing that. Because he he doesn't know how to fix what Hal Jordan did, um, so yeah, I really really wanted to get into Green Lantern. I picked up the first three issues of the New Fifty Two Green Lantern, but I, I I just could not get into it. I I tried my hardest, Tim, and uh, apologize to your brother for me. Yes, I was <laughs> just gonna say he heard you say that. <laughs> But, but yeah, I just can't get into Green Lantern for some reason. Yeah, the new 52 was kind of hard if that's where we were starting off from, because that really yeah. wasn't a reboot or anything. It just continued on from where the last story left off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could definitely see if you haven't been keeping up with Green Lantern and you started with issue number one in the new 52, yeah, you're kind of saying, what the heck's going on? Yeah, it kills me. Every every time I walk into the, the comic book shop, there's a Green Lantern statue, and every time I go to the shelf, there's always a Green Lantern book. I really, really want to pick it up. I really want to read Green 
Green Lantern. I want to be a Green Lantern fan, but it just... I mean, I don't know what it is. I just can't get into the character for some reason. I guess it's not for everyone, but yeah. <laughs> I would say it's kind of epic space-wise stuff. It's like the Star Wars of comic books for me. Yeah, anyway. exactly. That epic that, that's... Yeah, that's the point. It's the Star Wars of Green Lantern, and that's why I want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, was that it from Alex, a conversation with Alex? Yep, that's Alex, and that was our only email, so hopefully we'll get some more emails. Uh, let us know what you think, what's your favorite Batman-Superman interaction, um, and uh, our email address is batfans27 at gmail.com. Do you guys know where Alex lives? No. I was just wondering, because for some reason I think he's from Mexico. By, well, by what? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> just the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I just feel that he's from Mexico for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has a Hispanic last name, Aguilera. Oh, he does. So, yeah, so it could be, oh, oh, it could it could be, be re- right. related to former Mets pitcher Rick Aguilera. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. He kind of dropped <laughs> the ball in, in uh, Game 6. Yeah. Of the World Series, 1986. Um, still won. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Thanks to Bill Buckner. <laughs> Is that? So they still won. Oh. Terry, that's thanks to Bill Buckner. <laughs> Talking about memorabilia, my brother's got a cool thing. He's got a, um, it's like a frame of that picture of the ball going right through Bill Buckner's legs with Mookie Wilson running uh, to first in the background, and it's signed by Mookie Wilson and by Bill Buckner. Really? So, Bill Buckner yeah. signed that? Yeah. <laughs> my brother's wife got it for him. It's pretty cool. Wow. That is cool, yeah. Yeah, but you can't just blame Bill Buckner. No. That's a thing. No way. You can't blame him. No. He made one mistake. And there were two outs already, too. And then I think they just scored the tying run on, on that yeah. play, right? Yeah, it wasn't the winning run. And then even the, yeah. the game afterwards, the Red Sox had to leave. They couldn't hold it. Yeah. <laughs> and I always contend that even if Bill Buckner would have got the ball, Mookie Wilson would have beat him to first base. Because Mookie was fast, yeah. and Bill Buckner was hurt and old. And so I think even if he would have picked it up, he still – and the pitcher wasn't covering first. So <laughs> he would have had too, to yeah. have run. Yeah. Stanley was old, too. So, I mean, it's not all Bill Buckner's fault. But I, I think it's kind of screwed up that, you know, he had a decent career. He had a pretty good career. But, like, <laughs> one play to find – Yeah. This one play. Yeah. But anyways, that's our um, our new baseball segment <laughs> yeah. that we're introducing to the podcast. Um, and our Bill Buckner segment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many of those are there going to (laughs) be, Bill Buckner. (laughs) And our What is Alex's Nationality segment. (laughs) I'm going to go with Filipino. It'd be funny if he was, like, Icelandic or something. Like, we got it completely wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or he's, like, one of our neighbors. He, like, lives, like, three houses down. I didn't realize. (laughs) All right, so I guess we can get into some comic book reviews. And um, like we always say, this is going to be very spoilerish. So if you haven't picked up your comics or you haven't read your comics yet, you might want to come back to this section later and hear Tim's thoughts about uh, life and life lessons and philosophy <laughs> and um, game theory. Yeah, all my philosophies like will just be based off Star Wars and Batman. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh but our rating scale for this week, or this episode, is going to be things that Bill Buckner gets blamed for when it's not his fault. And um, we are going to be covering the weeks of May 22nd 
and May 29th. For May 22nd, we have Batman the Dark Knight, number 20, Batman Beyond Unlimited, number 16, Batman Inc., number 11, and Justice League, number 20. Uh, for May 29th, we only have Batman the Dark Knight Annual, number one, which none of us read, so yeah. pretty much <laughs> going to be everything from the 22nd. <laughs> um, but for May 22nd, uh, let's go with Terrence. Terrence, where do you, where do you want to take us? Uh, we can start with the Dark Knight number 20, if you'd like. Let's and, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of time the last two weeks and wasn't able to read a lot. And, uh, that's all Bill Buckner's fault. Um, and <laughs> unfortunately, what I did read, I didn't really like very much. And this one was, for me, a disappointment. Now, maybe you guys might have a, um, a different opinion on it. But, you know, I was kind of looking forward to the Dark Knight, um, getting the new, um, um, artist Ethan Van Skyver, and he's kind of disappeared. He is he hasn't been around in a while, and you know one of the criticisms of DC Comics before the New Fifty Two was that like everyone was writing for the trade paperback. They were trying to write five issue arcs or six issue arcs to to, to make trade paperbacks, and the monthlies were suffering. And right now, this a Mad Hatter story f- feels drawn out to me, and it feels like they're just trying to there's a lot of filler and a lot of uh, spreading it out to make that five issue trade paperback of Batman versus the Mad Hatter. Um, and you know, this is spoiler heavy, but unfortunately Batman's girlfriend, it looks like she's killed here Natalia. And um, it's just kind of, I don't know, like, I guess the term for it is fridging her after the green lantern, you know, and um, uh it's just like really they introduced this character. She's she hasn't been in any other book, so I kind of had this bad feeling that her time would be short. Um and all that just to have her killed uh what for and it just kind of seemed like a waste and um I'll let you guys talk about it cuz maybe you guys liked it more than me. Um even though the art wasn't Ethan Van Skyver, I it still was pretty good. I still kind of like this look, but I just would have rather it would have been one artist for the entire Mad Hatter uh, run, either Ethan Van Skyver or this guy who I, I forget his name, because they're very, very different styles. Uh, so Simon Kredansky. Um, so I would have preferred one style or the other to have it half and half just kind of, um, I don't know, annoys me. Um, so I'd give this one thing that Bill Buckner gets blamed for, that's really not his fault, including here now ruining this comic. So <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> I felt that, I mean, I hate to say it because I love Greg Hurwitz and I love what he did with, with The Dark Knight, obviously, but I felt that he really dropped the ball with this, this issue because I felt that, you know, in this entire Manhattan run, this is the first filler issue that we got. I mean, a lot of things happen in this issue. You know, uh, Natalia dies, or she gets kidnapped first, and then she dies, and there's something going on with Bruce. It wasn't very clear. That's my big problem with this issue. It wasn't very clear. And I, yeah. I think Hurwitz and Simon Kudrasky are to blame for it. I love Simon Kudrasky. I love his artists, especially his stuff that his stuff on um, Penguin, Pain, and Prejudice, and his two-faced backup, which was the best part of that backup essentially. But I felt that his art, I don't know if it was the coloring or the inking, but it it didn't look like his art. And the worst part about it was that it was confusing, especially that page where, you know, you got to kind of turn the comic sideways. And uh, 
it just shows Natalia. Yeah, yeah. Natalia falling. I was wondering what was going on there because I mean, for one thing, the, the images are so soaked with black that it's hard to make out what's going on behind behind her. I mean, you flip the page and then you get it, but you want to kind of go with the panels. You kind of want the panels to tell the story for you. I mean, you kind of tell what's happening, but, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I want the panels to tell me what's happening. And then you flip over the page, and then we see what happened. The, the panels lead us to the next page. Uh, but I felt that, you know, his his art was, wasn't very clear, and it definitely wasn't his best. Just like Greg Hurwitz's writing, I just felt that there was a whole lot of nothing going on. I mean, there was stuff going on with Batman and Alfred and, you know, Batman going into the sewers to find where the bodies, um, or the source of where the bodies are coming out of. And I just felt that he could have executed that better because if... I feel that it just doesn't have that shocking element to it. It doesn't have that attention-grabbing sort of thing. It's just it just exists. Unlike the um, the previous issues in in this run, I just felt that this issue just didn't do anything, even though it did something at the end and throughout the entire issue. I just felt that it didn't have you know that that sort of I don't know what you call it like that sort of punch you know and you know you pair that with Simon Kondransky's art which most of the time is really really well done but you know he also dropped the ball in this issue it just doesn't make sense and it just doesn't appeal to me especially after we we had what is it two or three you know standout issues where he he hit a home run with every single issue I just felt that he didn't bring that to this issue and I think part of it is the whole backstory with with Mad Hatter, how he was trying to, you know, uh, be with Alice, and you know he tried to fit in, or he he had major insecurities throughout his life, and you know he was trying to be normal, even though his parents, you know, said we'll love you no matter what. I just felt that I think maybe he should have put something in here like that that would have given this story this this issue a bit of punch, you know? So, I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm probably going to give this a two and a half. Um, seems that Joe Buckner gets blamed for when it's not his fault. Yeah, I definitely know where you guys are coming from. I don't think I probably liked a little bit more than you guys did, but I definitely agree where you said, Terrence, where the story arc is probably going on a little bit longer than it should. I mean, that, when, I think when we got the final uh, flashback of Mad Hatter's origin, maybe that should have been the same point where the story arc should have wrapped up, too. Because that's really, I think, the best part of this whole story arc is what Greg Hurwitz done with Mad Hatter's origin. And then there was none of that in this issue. And kind of like what you said, Dana, this didn't have that same punch as all the other ones did. And for yeah, me, do, you, do you get the feeling that this is going to wrap up way too fast? Like in one issue, it's going to wrap up? I'm kind of hoping it does wrap up. I'm kind of hoping it does wrap up in the next issue because I don't think there's really too much more you can do with it. And to me, the whole thing was that with... Natalia, just too predictable, where Bruce first told her everything that he was Batman and all that. I know we're kind of thinking, oh, maybe it's like a hallucination or something that he was having. He didn't really tell her because Mad Hatter gassed him or something. But it looks like it really was. And then if that was the case, you knew she's probably going to have to die eventually because she's not in, like you said, Terrence, any of the other Bat books. And for her to just be in this this one and she knows the secret, something's going to happen to her. So when she got kidnapped by the Mad Hatter, you kind of... For me, anyway, saw the writing on the wall that she was probably going to get killed. But I, I did like how that whole sequence played out where Mad Hatter is trying to use her to be his Alice, but she's not giving in to him. She's not listening to him. She even uh, gets a few punches and scratches in on his face. 
then even when he threatens her to tell her who Batman is, uh, she still doesn't give in. I just like how she would kind of stayed strong against the Mad Hatter, even though she was waiting for Batman and Bruce to come help her, but instead it was too late. So even though it was predictable, I did kind of like how it all played out. And, uh, yeah, other than that, nothing really too much going on in this issue. I mean, it just looks like what it was setting up the final confrontation between Batman and Mad Hatter, because now Batman's going to be mad at Mad Hatter for killing her. And then he made the point, too, earlier in the issue, telling Alfred that he doesn't want to lose anyone close again because he just lost Damien. So I think they kind of brought that in and out of nowhere because I don't believe they mentioned him at all in the previous issues with the Mad Hatter. Because it's kind of going like that whole point again where where is everything taking place? Because it's like Batman's been going through a lot of different uh, missions since Damien has died. What's going on in Batman? What's going on in Batman and Robin? Now what's going on with the Dark Knight? So it's like, where is all this taking place? But um, yeah, so I definitely agree where it's probably the weakest uh, issue of Greg Hurwitz's Mad Hatter storyline. And I think it is probably time for it to wrap up. So hopefully the next issue, um, if it is the last one, it can end it as good as he started out with it. So, yeah, overall, I'm probably going to be right there with you, Dane. Uh, two and a half out of five things that Bill Buckner gets blamed for when he shouldn't. And uh, according to the solicitations, just, you know, next issue is the last one with Mad Hatter. Uh, issue 22 starts a Clayface storyline. So. Coming right off of Scott Snyder is interesting. It actually even says that in the solicitations. It's just coming off um, Dark Batman and Dark Knight number t- 22. Picking up from the recent issues of Batman, the origin of Clayface is revealed, and a new mystery is introduced. So. Well, Greg Hurwitz has done awesome with origin stories for Scarecrow and uh, Matt Hatter, so I'll, I'll definitely look forward to see what he does with Clayface. Yeah. So which one do you guys like better? Do you like Matt Hatter's origin story? Scarecrows or Penguin? Um, I think I'm going to go with Mad Hatters because it yeah. took certain cliches that you expect to happen but didn't, but yet he still turned bad anyway for some other circumstances that revolved around his early childhood. So I'd really like what he did with them, so I'd probably say Mad Hatter. Yeah, me too. What about you, Terrence? I'll go with Penguin. I really like the Penguin Pride and Prejudice series uh, up until the conclusion. I thought the conclusion was a little hokey. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like what he did with Penguin. But I, not to say I didn't like the Mad Hatter, because it was great, um, the Mad Hatter origin. I wish they would have just left this as the origin, and we don't even need this whole thing with the um, what, whatever he's doing, trying to recreate and make a TV show or what. what I don't even know what he's trying. the Mad Hatter's trying to do, really, honestly. Um, I, I could have just gone with a straight-up Mad Hatter origin for three issues, and that would have been enough and would have been probably better for me. Yeah, depending how it all ends, you might be right. Yeah. All right, so I guess we can move on to, or Tim, where do you want to take us, man? Uh, I guess I can go on to Batman Beyond number 16. And this pains me to say it, but this might be the weakest issue so far out of the whole <laughs> Batman Beyond run. As <laughs> you know, I know, I thought every issue has been really great so far, but this one, yeah, just wasn't quite as good as all the other ones. Just mainly the stories that are going on and all Three of these separate uh, storylines, just not as good as what's happened previously, just haven't grabbed me. Because the main one is Batman, uh, or it's focusing on Max, who is helping this uh, criminal named Rebel, who she's building this giant robot made out of the different uh, metal men from DC Comics, and he, she's using Max to 
help her build it so he can pretty much destroy Gotham like a Godzilla movie pretty much without this big giant robot monster destroying Gotham. Just because she was one of the underprivileged citizens, she's going to make all the like upper class people pay. Jim, how could you say that? <laughs> how could you say like Godzilla when you have the Zilla beast? <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's similar to that too. Your typical monster movie, <laughs> but yet it's a robot. And it's a robot. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, Batman has to stop it in the Batmobile. And but then the thing, probably the best part about it was that uh, to distract Batman. Uh, so to distract him from keeping him from stopping that robot, this criminal named Rebel, she sends out a Shriek, who is one of my favorite villains from the Batman Beyond TV show, to kind of keep him busy. But that was a pretty short sequence in there, and it really Terry beats him pretty easily, so it wasn't nothing too exciting. This the whole idea of this whole like monster movie type thing, <laughs> Terry trying to stop it was. It's not the storyline I was hoping would follow the great uh, Joker storyline with Dana's brother. And the Joker King and all that, because I really like that. And another thing that was kind of weird, I could probably done without the scene of uh, Dick Grayson waking up in bed with a girl who's like half his age when he's an old man. <laughs> it just stepped a little weird for Dick to be doing that, knowing how he was from the animated series. So probably could have done without that sequence in there. And then uh, the next issue after that was uh, the whole Justice League Beyond story where they're looking for the kid Green Lantern who's captured by the Brain Trust who was from the other Batman Beyond episode called Mind Games, which I would like to see that storyline continue because that was a pretty cool episode. But again, this episode is just not grabbing me. It focuses on the kid Green Lantern stuck in this uh, facility where these like, gifted kids with metahuman powers are being trained like t- to be used by this organization called the Brain Trust. And then the, bat- the rest of the Justice League are trying to find them. And again, nothing really exciting happens. They get... They face off against some of the members outside the facility where they're being held. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's kind of the shorter one of the issue. And then the whole thing with Superman Beyond story with him, with the Justice League trying to aid him and freeing this planet that's having a civil war between two species. And this is another story that seemed like it's been going on for a long time because it's so short. And if there's a lot of it in this issues before it, it seems like it's going on long, but it's really not. The story's kind of... Probably your typical standard uh, comic book storyline, probably when you read it all at once, it won't be that long. But it just seems to be dragging on for a little bit too long than it should. It is an interesting story, but I think it's time for that one to wrap up, too. So, yeah, overall, not the greatest issue of Batman Beyond. So I'd probably just give it, pains me to say it, but just two and a half out of five things that Bill Buckner gets blamed for when it's not his fault. I never thought I'd give one of these issues out of the score. <laughs> Is the new um, new Catwoman in in uh, the new Fifty Two version of Batman Beyond? Me. Um, the Cat Girl. Cat Girl. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Cat Girl. Yeah, that's who uh, Dick spent the night with that in this issue. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she she has one of the coolest looking suits. Yeah. In the Batman is. universe. I really like that Cat Girl suit. Um, but. Terrence, where do you want to, or what do you want to review? Um, how about Batman Incorporated number eleven? And this, I'm going to blame Bill Buckner for number two because <laughs> uh, this one. Well, first of all, you know the the last one left with a pretty good cliffhanger where um, Batman or Bruce had, had injected himself with the Man Bat serum to become a bat, 
Um, and so I was kind of like, let's see where this goes. And this had nothing to do with it. And, um, it, this it was the all. Definition of filler right here. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about the Batman of Japan, uh, which he was, we haven't seen him since like the, the first couple issues of the pre New 52 Batman Incorporated. Um, and as I was reading it, I was kind of like, wow, this dialogue is terrible. I was like, what is Grant Morrison doing? And then I realized in the credits this wasn't written by Grant Morrison. It was written by Chris Burnham, which kind of makes a little sense because I'd, they'd always said that uh, Batman Incorporated would be a 12-issue run. And then all of a sudden they started saying it would be 13 issues. And now we see why they added this one-issue filler. Which I, I would have just preferred this be, you know, Batman of Japan number one or something on the, uh, uh, you know, a side issue, but then probably less people would have bought it. Um, and then the artist, I don't know if you guys like The Simpsons, but there was this one yeah. Simpsons where I get where, um, they, they were doing a film festival and, uh, <laughs> the, the, Mr. Burns is like, get me Steven Spielberg for my movie. And he's like, we can't afford him. He's like, well, get me his non-union Mexican counterpart. And then like, Senor Spielbrago. Well, this, this is like the artist of this is Jorge Lucas. So I just think of him as like George Lucas's non-union Mexican counterpart. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Right. So Jorge Lucas, which, you know, is just, uh, I don't know. It it was just filler. And actually, I read about the first five or six pages and then just kind of skimmed through to the end. And then at the last panel, it, it shows Batman turning into Man Bat. And it says, now we now return you to your regularly scheduled program after we've robbed two ninety nine from you for this <laughs> filler crap. So, um, yeah, once again, I would give this one thing that I uh, would blame Bill Buckner for. That's not his fault, including the poor quality of this issue. But maybe you guys loved it and have a different opinion. What do you guys think? Well, for me, when I first saw it on my comic book, I was kind of debating, should I even get it? Because I know it's just filler now that I saw Chris Burnham's writing. It's not Grant Morrison. I'm like, eh. This whole series is going to end once Grant Morrison's done. Might as well get all of them. And I really wasn't expecting much from this issue. And I don't know what it is about it or <laughs> why, but I didn't actually hate this issue that much. I mean, Kind of what you said there, and it is, it is filler. That's, there's no question about that. The story's not particularly great. The dialogue, yeah, it is cheesy, but I don't know, there's something about <laughs> seeing the Batman of Japan take on this group of, uh, girl bikers team with like the Power Rangers, <laughs> kind of, each have their own colors and these helmets. And I guess the acting sequence that played out were pretty cool. I mean, some of the interaction that the, uh, the Batman of Japan had with, uh, this biker gang, because they're basically the whole premise of it is that, they're supposed to be used by Leviathan to kind of be the face of Leviathan in a positive sense. But then something goes wrong with these helmets that they're using that kind of warps, that makes their face look all disfigured and everything. And then the Leviathan wouldn't use them anymore. So now they're trying to get become, like, good with Leviathan again, trying to restore their reputation with them, trying to get on their good terms by stealing this, uh, I forget what the device even is, but they try to steal this device to try to get good again with Leviathan, but the Batman in Japan and his sidekick, uh, Canary, stop them. There were some references to, like, previous story elements, like the Internet 3.0, which is how they stop the main villain in the story. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of cheesy stuff going on in it, but as I was reading it, I didn't say, ah, come on, what's going on here? I wasted money. This, I don't know what it is, but I just didn't hate this issue. But I, it was strange to have this. I don't know what made him want to tell the story, part of the main Batman Incorporated line. But, yeah, it it's just, it is strange, I don't know, but I'll probably just go ahead and give it uh, two out of uh, 
two things out of five that we can't blame Bill Buckner for. Even though I was expecting this to give it like a zero or a one, <laughs> but it, I didn't actually hate it, which is, I still don't know why. It's just kind of weird. <laughs> it's just one of those things, I guess. Now, let's open up all these negative reviews today. I know. Well, depending if you guys read Justice League, that that's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't read Justice League, but um, Tim, why don't you review it? Yeah, so kind of the same thing with Batman Inc. number 11 as I was flipping through the first few pages, I see it's going to take off uh, where it left off the last issue where three members, uh, Element Woman, The Atom, and Firestorm, they're up in the Justice League Watchtower going against Despero, who infiltrated the Watchtower and is attacking them. And I kind of thought that's what the whole issue was going to be. And while the majority of it was, there was a lot of cool stuff that happened to it. And one of those things was that uh, the Martian Manhunter came in and kind of helped him defeat Despero. That was a really cool sequence that played out. The whole fight that he had with Despero just reminded me of something out of the Justice League animated series. They have one of those psychic mind battles where you're seeing the different visuals that they're having a battle of the minds. And, like, they're able to warp the scenery around them and just change it into certain things to defeat each other. So I always like those psychic mind battles that the Martian Manhunter would have in the animated series. And was, Jeff Johns kind of captured that in this issue. So it was great to see the Martian Manhunter back in a Justice League book. And they even kind of referenced in here that he was part of the team at one time. I know there was that one panel a long time ago where they showed the Justice League actually fighting him, and we're all wondering, what was that about? So apparently he was part of the team for a little bit. Maybe it's explored more in one of the other books that the Martian Manhunter is a part of, but for me, this is the first time I found out that he was actually part of the team. So that was cool to have him back. But then probably my favorite stuff was that Batman's confronting uh, Superman and Wonder Woman. He's kind of expressing the concern that he has about them being together. But then when they found out that uh, Despero attacked the Justice League, and he actually had a kryptonite ring, which he stole out of the Batcave from the previous issue, and it's still left up in the air who was in the Batcave. They say it wasn't Despero who went in there and stole it, but someone did and gave that to Despero in order to attack the Watchtower. Then everyone's questioning Batman, like, how can you have the kryptonite ring? And Superman's all, I gave it to him. They're like, why why would you do that? Then my favorite sequence in the issue comes at the end and it kind of goes back to our main topic with Superman and Batman just another sequence that I enjoyed that they had together where it just shows that they have a great respect and trust for each other where Batman shows Superman all these cases of contingency plans that it looks like that he has for each member of the Justice League each case has a symbol of the members of the League and Superman's had the kryptonite one then he explains to Superman I'm so concerned about uh, you being with Diana because of this and he hands her the box with Wonder Woman's logo on there to show him what's her weakness. Superman opens it up, and it's empty. And he goes, that's why I'm so concerned. She doesn't have a weakness. She doesn't have kryptonite. And so, like, that's why if you ever, something ever happens to Diana where we had to take her down, uh, you're, the one, you're the only one who could stop her. And so he's, like, giving Superman kind of the awkward choice that, yeah, the, your girlfriend, if she ever goes bad, you're the only one who can stop her and cross that line if need to. And then says the same thing about him. If I ever cross that line, uh, you're the only one who can stop me. And Superman's all saying, like, how can you have all these, like, worry about all this stuff? How can you, like, just only expect the worst out of people? He's all saying, I can never expect, like, you can't expect me to hurt my friends. And then Batman hands him the case with uh, his symbol on there. And Superman's opening it up, and he's, like, shocked. He's like, you can't be serious. Like, what is this, Bruce? But they don't reveal exactly what's in that case. So 
This definitely got me curious to find out exactly what's in there, but Batman just puts his arms on Superman's shoulder and he goes, take it, Clark. Like, if you ever need to, and if you truly are my friend, you'll use it. So I just love that dialogue that they had with each other. Like I said, it just goes to show the trust and respect that they have that only those two superheroes have with each other. So that was a great way for the issue to end with the main members. But then it looks like they're trying to tie it in with a, the Trinity War storyline going on because it's revealed that the Atom is actually working for Amanda Waller and uh, Steve Trevor, who are part of in charge of the Justice League of America group, and she's actually a spy. So the setting up that, that's where the issue ends with her being revealed as a spy. So the whole sequence of the Justice League being attacked with Despero and the Martian Manhunter fight was cool. The interaction between Batman and Superman was great. But also, too, the backup with uh, Shazam and Captain Atom, that was another great uh, origin story for Black Adam that we get, too. This kind of took a different twist on it, because in the previous issue, we saw this poor kid who was in slavery who gets uh, sent to the the Wizards and the, the Rock of Eternity to get his powers. But he has them take his uncle with him because his uncle was all beaten up and he wants them to help him. So they grant both of them the powers. And just off the whole issue, you thought this little kid is Black Adam. But it actually turns out that Black Adam is the uncle and he actually sacrifices that kid because Black Adam wants to use the power to destroy all their oppressors and to make everyone who's a, had them in slavery pay for all the injustice that they did. So, But the kid says, no, we have to show mercy and use our power for good. And But the, the uncle doesn't <laughs> agree with them, so he pretends to agree with them. And while they call on Shazam, he uses that electricity actually to kill that little kid. So that was a big shock for me. Because I, I always thought Black Adam was that little kid, but it turns out to be that uncle. And just that he was pretty much evil from the start if he was willing to sacrifice his own nephew for that. So then I think... The next issue is the last one of the Captain Marvel story. It looks like they're going to have the final showdown between the two characters. So I think overall, for the most part, that's been a great backup and definitely looking forward to see how it ends. So, yeah, overall, Justice League uh, wasn't expecting it to be <laughs> a great issue, but it turned out to be really good. So I'm probably going to go ahead and give it four things out of five that Bill Buckner gets blamed for when he really shouldn't. Probably the best issue of the week so far, <laughs> or out of the last two weeks, definitely. Finally. Bill yes. Buckner is getting blamed for something more than two. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting blamed for something good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Terrence, did you read it? No. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, sorry. All right. So, man, that was fast. That was a quick comic book review section. I didn't expect it to go so fast. <laughs> yeah, maybe um, because a lot of them were, weren't that good. <laughs> we didn't want to yeah. that for so long. Well, um, I guess that's it. And... Um, I guess we can finally put Bill Buckner to rest. He's not to blame for Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. Let's just make that clear. Yes, and they already everybody. got two championships since then, so they can let it go. <laughs> you can let it go, finally. The curse of the Bambino is done. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> so, yeah, um, go to the BatmanUniverse.net for all, all of the Batman world Batman Universe updates. Um, you can also check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Batman Universe. And, you know, I was wondering why, like, I've listened to, like, several podcasts where the hosts, when they're giving out their URL, they're always like, www. <laughs> I mean, it, isn't that a given already? I mean, <laughs> yeah, <it's> true. <laughs> do, you, do you have to say that? Um, and most, uh, like, Browsers, you don't even have to put the www dot anymore. Just type in the name, and it usually takes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, you can follow them on Facebook, um, facebook dot com slash Batman Universe, and you can follow you can follow the Batman Universe 
and the Twitter handle is at Batman Universe. And you can also follow Tim at TimG311 and Terrence at IOD1974. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, and you can review us. And you can also leave a comment on the episode post. Is that, is that what you call it? Yeah, it's good enough. Yeah, you can leave us a comment. If anything we've said you disagree with or agree with, let us know. And you can email us at batfans27 at gmail.com. And you can listen to all of the other Batman Universe podcasts on iTunes. And you can rate and review them, too. And if you rate and review them and you put uh, the Bat Fans Without Pants podcast to- told me to review it, review this podcast, then it'll make us look sexy. All three of us <laughs> at once. Yeah, you won't get anything out of out of it though, will we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so did you send out that guy's um the guy that won the yeah, the uh, DVDs? Yep, sent them out to Jake. Sent it? Oh hopefully he's gotten them by now. <laughs> I where does he live? Uh where does he live? I'd have to bring it up, but I don't have it up with me right now. Oh. I don't remember. Oh, was it, hopefully it wasn't like he lives in India or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, Dustin's on all of those other podcasts. Every single one of them he's on. I don't know how, how he does it. I think he's either A, a robot, or B, he has a lot, a crap ton of time on his hands that none of us have. <laughs> um, and also, he could possibly be... A Jedi Master, you know. That's the reason I like to go with. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I I, I don't like the, the the droid slash robot, even though droid is uh, copyrighted by Lucasfilm. As it should be. Yeah, as it should be. So let's just go with Jedi Master. So yeah, that's it. Don't miss. I mean, miss us, but you know, don't cry. Don't be sad. We'll be back here with with episode number thirty two in in two weeks. So 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 don't cry. Please don't cry. I, I don't want to make people cry. I don't want that on my conscience. I don't think you want it on your conscience, right, Tim? Uh, if you cry, I'll cry. It's just contagious <laughs> effect. And I don't think Terrence wants that on his conscience either. Yeah, I work in a middle school. I make kids cry all the time, so it doesn't really bother me. But, but for the sake of the podcast, I don't want any of our listeners to cry. Yeah, you don't want Alex to cry. No. Especially because he's our only, or I shouldn't say only, even though that kind of takes away from his... His cool title, but our most loyal listener. He always emails us, except for that last episode when he cheated on us. It's another, probably another Batman podcast, a lesser Batman podcast, I would say. I actually yeah. saw Alex. Yeah, he posted something on one of the other Batman Universe podcasts oh. on their con, and I was like, Alex, what are you doing? He's <laughs> not a. Yeah. Damn it, Alex! Why do you cheat? You know. We, yeah. <laughs> we're always loyal to you. Alex, why do you cheat on us? I, every other people. listener email I delete. I only read Alex's email. <laughs> and then he goes and does this to us, yeah. Alex, we still love you, man. We still love you. We have love in our hearts, even though you don't, because you cheated on us. Another <laughs> yeah. Batman podcast. We still have love in our hearts, and we love you. We love you, Alex. Alex, we love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, bye, everybody. We'll see you later. We'll see you next week. Two weeks from now, sorry. Bye. <laughs> wow, it's been a while since those long, long outro. <laughs> yeah. I had to make up for it, you know, I had to make up for it. Yeah, because it was like the last two or three or something like that, so yeah. You definitely did a good job of making up for it. <laughs> we should see if we can get an interview with Jorge Lucas. <laughs>
Yes. <laughs>